0: It's certainly good to be together again, is it not, on this Lord's day as we gather as God's people. And this is our uh, last time in the book of Genesis, at least for this series, centered around the life of Joseph. This series has been titled, God Meant It for Good. And over these weeks that we've been studying this, we have seen how God was at work in Joseph's life to transform him from a 17-year-old boy sold into slavery by the evil intent of his brothers into a 39-year-old man who is a humble leader in the greatest nation of the world to provide relief from this seven-year famine. Last week we saw how God was also at work in his brother Judah's life over that same 22-year period of time to turn him from a hypocritical and cruel man into a humble servant who was kind, compassionate, and tender-hearted. So this week we're going to look at the last chapter of Joseph's story, which is also the last chapter of Genesis, chapter 50. Well in doing so, those of you who have been paying attention may have noticed that we skipped chapters 46 to 49. I'm just going to quickly summarize those chapters for us here it's not that they're unimportant it's just that we've been focusing on the details of Joseph's life so in Genesis 46 and 47 we see Jacob and his family journey to Egypt and settle there the family is reunited all together again after 22 years of painful separation Then in the last half of chapter 47 there are some details about how Joseph administrates the famine within Egypt itself. Then comes Genesis 48 and 49 Joseph's father Jacob is at the end of his life and before he dies he gathers all his sons together and specifically blesses each of his 12 sons basically describing the future course and significance of their lives. And then he dies at age 147, 17 years after arriving in Egypt. And then finally, there's the first half of Genesis 50, verses 1 to 14. That section describes Joseph and his brothers taking Jacob's body back to the land of Canaan, where he moved from to be buried. We're not going to spend time with that either this morning. So today, we're going to focus on the last half of Genesis 50. Uh, verses 15 to 26. This passage looks at Joseph and his brothers after their father's death and this message uh, is entitled the same as our whole series which is God meant it for good and I believe it will be fairly uh, obvious as we get into that where that came from. But before we dive in I'd like to uh, talk to the author of the book again uh, asking for his wisdom. And the prayer will be structured around some words from Psalm 19. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time we have to spend in your word, this written word that you have given to us. Lord, we know that the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. They are more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold. They're sweeter also than honey in the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned that in keeping them there is great reward. So now as we turn our attention to your word, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to please turn in your Bibles now to Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50, first book of the Bible, the last chapter. It is now 39 years after Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. 17 years after Jacob and his family moved to Egypt. Joseph is now 56 years old. 56 years old. And I'm gonna read now with that setting, Genesis 50 verses 15 to 26. Feel free to follow along with me. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Maker, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here." So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt." This passage divides into two sections, and we'll look at the first one together, which is verses 15 to 21. Right away in verse 15 we see that the brothers are afraid. They are afraid that since their father Jacob has died, Joseph will now use that opportunity to take revenge on them for how they treated him. They are still feeling guilty about their sinful actions 39 years ago. They are living in constant fear that they are going to be punished for it. And now they are afraid that Joseph will use their father's death as the occasion to finally take the revenge that they deserve. But please go back with me to Genesis 45. Keep your fingers in Genesis 50. But let's go back to Genesis 45, verses 4 and 8. This is the time when Joseph finally reveals himself to his brothers 17 years earlier. Genesis 45, I'm going to read verses 4 to 8. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. AND NOW DO NOT BE DISTRESSED OR ANGRY WITH YOURSELVES BECAUSE YOU SOLD ME HERE. FOR GOD SENT ME BEFORE YOU TO PRESERVE LIFE. FOR THE FAMINE HAS BEEN IN THE LAND THESE TWO YEARS, AND THERE ARE YET FIVE YEARS IN WHICH THERE WILL BE NEITHER PLOWING NOR HARVEST. AND GOD SENT ME BEFORE YOU TO PRESERVE FOR YOU A REMNANT ON EARTH, AND TO KEEP ALIVE FOR YOU MANY SURVIVORS. SO IT WAS NOT YOU WHO SENT ME HERE, BUT GOD. HE HAS MADE ME A FATHER TO PHARAOH, AND LORD OF ALL HIS HOUSE AND RULER, over all the land of Egypt Joseph clearly understood what God had done in sending, to, sending him to Egypt he clearly was not holding anything against them he clearly had forgiven them but here they are back in chapter 50 laboring under 39 years of guilt about something that Joseph had clearly forgiven them 17 years ago isn't that a sad way to live under constant guilt and fear of punishment. Do they deserve that Joseph would pay them back? Absolutely. But Joseph had already extended grace and had already granted forgiveness. Aren't we often so much like these brothers in our relationship with God? We have heard the words, for example, of 1 John 1, nine: if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't know about you but I still find it hard to believe that God has and will fully accept me as one who has no debt against Him. I find it hard to believe that when I see Jesus He'll say, Well done good and faithful servant. I'm more inclined to think it will be something more like this. Welcome home David. But before I show you around, there are a few things we need to clear up first. Do I believe that God has forgiven me because of Jesus' death and resurrection? Yes, the Bible clearly says so. Do I live as if I believe it? Sadly, not always. And here we are, the brothers are feeling guilty and afraid because they were not confident in Joseph's forgiveness. Well, the brothers respond to their guilt in three ways. First we see in verse 16 and 17, they use Joseph's love and respect for his father as leverage. They are afraid that Joseph's kindness toward them was just out of respect for his father. So they essentially tell Joseph, you know, Dad said you are to forgive us. Did Jacob really command this or did they make it up? Well, it's really not clear. We don't know but they are doing everything they can to get on Joseph's good side. But we see their heart in the second part of verse 17 because after they say, Dad said you should forgive us, they say, and now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. They directly and genuinely confess their sin and ask for his forgiveness. And then thirdly in verse 18, his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. They humble themselves before him by bowing down to him and offering themselves to be his servants. This is the fifth time, if my count is correct, that they have bowing down to him as he had predicted when he was 17 years old, 39 years before, that they would be bowing down to him. In short, these brothers are doing everything they can to get Joseph to not take the revenge they are fearfully convinced they have coming to them. If you were Joseph, how would you respond to their plea for forgiveness? Well, it's about time you came crawling back to me. Yes, I'll forgive you, but first let me tell you about all the pain and suffering your actions have caused me. But when we see Joseph's response, we see none of that harshness. And he also responds in three ways. We see his first response at the end of verse 17. Joseph wept. That's his first response. Joseph wept. He feels their pain. He enters into their pain and is sorrowful for them. He feels the pain of them carrying this guilt for 39 years. He feels the pain of them carrying guilt that had been forgiven 17 years earlier. He grieves with them, and he grieves for them. Secondly, he gives a God-centered perspective that is very touching. If you look in verse 19 and 20, Joseph said to them, Do not fear. He repeats that in verse 21. Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. He says, it is clear you meant harm to me. There's no question that you meant to harm me, but it is equally clear that the harm you meant against me, God meant for good. The use of the word meant here is very significant. It's the same Hebrew word used both times. It means to think, to plan, to calculate, to devise. It means their evil actions were intentional, premeditated, planned. It was not an accident what they did to him. But then he tells them something about God that is both comforting and mysterious. He says God meant it for good. That is God didn't just take their evil intent and after it was all over say oh wow look what they did to Joseph what are we going to do? He didn't try to figure out how to turn it around after the fact. Rather God intentionally planned ahead of time to use their evil actions to accomplish his good purposes. In this case to send Joseph ahead of them to Egypt in order to save their lives from starving to death during time of famine. God used their evil intent against Joseph to rescue them. Only God can do that, and in ways that we don't fully understand. And then thirdly, look at verse 21, at the end of verse 21. He says, do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. He comforted them and spoke kindly to them. He is holding nothing against them, nothing over their heads. He promises to take care of them and their families. The brothers had a very simple goal. They just wanted to save their lives in front of this powerful ruler. Joseph gives them more than what they asked for and so much more than what they deserved. Well, that's what it means to give grace. Grace is giving favor that is undeserved. And why was Joseph able to extend such grace to his brothers? Because he was aware of the grace that God had extended to him. He recognized God's hand in protecting and prospering him those many years in Egypt. And somewhere along the way he came to understand God's larger purpose for sending him to Egypt in the first place. Joseph had the earthly position and power to punish them but he also had the heavenly perspective to be able to graciously forgive them. It's remarkable. Well, before we go on to the last section of Genesis 50, I'd like to linger here for a bit to reflect on how this episode fits into the larger story that God is writing in the Bible. Here we see Joseph as a picture of Jesus, the savior of the world, Who is to be born from this very family 1900 years later. As Tim Keller would have said Jesus is the true and better Joseph. As badly as Joseph's brothers treated him there has been no greater evil and injustice ever committed in all of history than that Jesus was rejected and crucified. The Jewish leaders meant evil against Jesus because of their jealousy and hatred of him. The Roman authorities, including Herod and Pilate, meant evil against him because of their willingness to crucify an innocent man to further their political agenda. And we ourselves meant evil against him because of our own sinful rejection of him. But what was meant for evil against Jesus, God meant for good. ...because it is by Jesus' death on the cross and by his resurrection that our sins can be forgiven. As it says in Acts 2.23, This Jesus, who was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. As I mentioned before, God did not just take the rejection of Jesus and then figure out what to do after it happened... Rather, he planned on that rejection from the very beginning as his means of doing good, as his means of saving those who rejected him. And it was according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. God was not surprised, not taken by surprise, not taken back by what happened, but actually had used this to accomplish his eternal purposes. They and we meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. We stand today before God as Joseph's brothers stood then before him, guilty and deserving of punishment. But what I'd like to do and I'd like you to follow along here is I read verses 19 and 21, 19 to 21 again. But this time I'm going to read these words as if Jesus is speaking to those of us who come to him in repentance and faith acknowledging our guilt and seeking his forgiveness Jesus says to us do not fear for I am in the place of God as for you you meant evil against me when your sin and your rejection of me caused me to be crucified but God planned from the beginning that the evil you inflicted on me would be the very means he would use for your good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So, do not fear. I will provide for you and for your little ones and for all who put their trust in me. In that way, Jesus comforts us and speaks kindly to us. Just like Joseph forgave his brothers, So we, too, have been forgiven and accepted by God through Jesus Christ. What we meant for evil against Jesus, God meant for good for us. What we meant for evil against Jesus, God meant for good for us. Amazing. Only God can do that. Well... Let's now look at the last five verses that describe Joseph's last days in Egypt, that's verses 22 to 26. The 14 chapters of Genesis 37 to 50, look at Joseph's life up to age 56. These last five verses cover the second half of Joseph's life, the next 54 years up to his death at age 110. 14 chapters to age 56, and 5 verses to 110. But there are two significant things that Moses records here about Joseph's final years. The first we see in verse 23. Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Maker, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. Joseph was able to see and enjoy his children his grandchildren, and his great-grandchildren. Secondly, in verse 24, we see Joseph's perspective. Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Joseph lived and died with a deep awareness of God's promise to his great grandfather Abraham, his grandfather Isaac, and his father Jacob, first made to Abraham 200 years earlier, that one day their family would be made into a great nation to whom God would give the land of Canaan as their permanent home. But here they were living in Egypt as exiles, as aliens, as strangers. But, he says, one day God would visit them. God will surely visit you to lead them out of Egypt to the land of promise. Now, he did not know that it would be another 400 years until that happened. But he was so sure that it would happen that when it did, he wanted his bones taken out of there so that he too would be a part of God's people in God's land So it's very interesting that the story of Joseph's life and the book of Genesis end the same way, not with everything all neatly tied up and finished, but looking ahead with a deep awareness that the story is not yet over. Yes, God has rescued his people from starving to death during the famine and has settled them in Egypt, and now they wait, they wait. For the next steps of the story that God is writing in history. They wait for God to visit them. They wait for God to take them from this temporary home in Egypt to their final home. And they wait for God to finally bring the promised descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who will save the world. And that is the essence of this last chapter for Joseph and his brothers. It ends with waiting. But let's once again linger here to see how Joseph points us ahead to Jesus. Joseph had no way of knowing that Jesus would be the fulfillment of all that he, Joseph, was longing for, all that he was looking forward to. But his life reminds us that we in 2023, just like him and his brothers, have not reached the end of the story. We're not home yet. We're not home yet. And as we said before, Jesus is the true and better Joseph. So in the same way that God used Joseph to save his family, Jesus has saved us from our sin and the eternal condemnation we deserve. He has forgiven us. He faithfully provides for our needs during our time in this world. But he reminds us that this world is not our final home. Just like them, we are exiles aliens and strangers. He has promised us an eternal home in the new heavens and the new earth where we will live at peace with him forever. Therefore he tells us that one day he will visit us again and bring us up out of this land to the land that he has promised to us. That's a theme we see throughout the New Testament if you read. One touching example we see in John 14 verses 2 and 3 where Jesus says to us before his crucifixion and his going back to heaven, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. What is Jesus doing right now? He's getting our future home ready. He's preparing it. And when it's ready, he's going to come back for us that where he is, we can be also. What a great thing to look forward to. Someday Jesus will surely visit us, to use Joseph's words, to take us back with him to the place he has prepared for us, to take us from this land to the land that he has promised. I LOVE HOW THE AUTHOR OF HEBREWS SAYS IT IN CHAPTERS 11, I HAVE EXCERPTS FROM SEVERAL VERSES THERE, AS THE WRITER LOOKS BACK ON THE LIVES OF ABRAHAM, ISAAC, JACOB, JOSEPH, AND ALL THOSE BELIEVERS WHO HAVE GONE BEFORE US, HE SAYS THIS, THESE ALL DIED IN FAITH, NOT HAVING RECEIVED THE THINGS PROMISED, BUT HAVING SEEN THEM AND GREETED THEM FROM AFAR, AND ALL OF THESE DID NOT RECEIVE WHAT WAS PROMISED, SINCE GOD HAD PROVIDED SOMETHING BETTER FOR US, THAT APART FROM US, THEY SHOULD NOT BE MADE PERFECT. JUST LIKE THEM, WE HAVE NOT YET RECEIVED ALL THAT GOD HAS PROMISED. AND SO WE WAIT, JUST LIKE THEM. CHRISTIANS ARE A PEOPLE OF WAITING, as God works over time to perfectly complete his eternal plan. And one day, we will all be together in the land of promise, in the new heavens and a new earth. You, me, Joseph, Jacob, all those who over the centuries have lived by faith in God. What a wonderful thing to look forward to. And I JUST LOVE THAT LAST LINE, THAT APART FROM US THEY SHOULD NOT BE MADE PERFECT. GOD DIDN'T WANT TO FULFILL EVERYTHING FOR THEM BECAUSE HE WAS WAITING FOR US. AND GOD'S NOT GOING TO FULFILL EVERYTHING FOR US BECAUSE HE'S WAITING FOR THOSE WHO COME AFTER US. AND WHEN WE'RE ALL READY AND WHEN THE HOME IS READY, HE'S GOING TO COME BACK. AND WE'RE GOING TO TAKE US ALL THERE AND WHAT A REUNION THAT WILL BE. IN THE MEANTIME, What is happening while we wait? As we have seen in the life of Joseph, life is often filled with hardship, pain, sorrow, suffering, uncertainty. Life does not always work the way it should. Some of us are suffering from illness that never ends. Some of us struggle constantly with temptations and sins that so easily overcome us. Some of us suffer from strained or broken relationships of various kinds. Some of us are greatly pained by children or other loved ones who are not walking with the Lord and who are troubling their own lives by their foolish decisions. Some of us have been or are being mistreated, abused, misused by others whether at home or at work or somewhere else. We see injustice all around us. Wars, persecution, trafficking, racism. We suffer because of the brokenness of the creation itself. Wildfires, floods, droughts, storms, famines. How do we not lose heart? How do we not lose heart in the midst of all of this suffering? Well, this week I came across the words of 2 Corinthians 4 verses 16 to 18, where Paul is reflecting on the suffering he is experiencing in his life. He captures much of what we have seen with God's dealings with Joseph. Paul says this way, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Notice that Paul calls even the extreme sufferings of this world light momentary affliction. More than that, he says those sufferings in ways that only God can do are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This world means it for evil, but God means it for good. I mentioned last week that I personally find it to be a great struggle to trust that God is truly at work in the things I can't see, mainly because of what I can see. It's what I can see that makes it hard for me to trust what I cannot see. But what Paul says here is significant. What does he say about the things we see? The things we see are transient. They are temporary. The things that are eternal are the unseen things. The things we cannot see what God is doing behind the scenes as we, again, saw in Joseph's life In the words of our Genesis passage, the things that this world means for evil against us, God means for our eternal good, our eternal glory. We just don't often get to see it. Sometimes we get glimpses, but we don't get to see it in its fullness. But that's the point of this passage. God has told us we can't always see the good he is doing. So we must learn to see the unseen with eyes of faith. We must learn to see the unseen with the eyes of faith. Our hope cannot be in what we see. Our hope must ultimately be in the unseen God working in the unseen places for our good. Well, our study of Joseph's life in Genesis has given us a window into the work of our great God in ways that Joseph, his brothers, and Jacob could not always see at the time. i referred to Romans 15.4 in previous messages to remind us that these things in Genesis have been written for our instruction that through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. These events happened close to 4,000 years ago but God says they have have been written for our instruction that through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. You see the God who guided Joseph and his family is the same God who is guiding us through the challenges of life. And so we live and we wait with hope that God is working for our good both now and forever. And like Joseph, we hear Jesus say to us, do not fear, for this world means evil against you, but God means it for good. Do not fear, this world means evil against you, but God means it for good. So do not fear, I will provide for you. God calls us to live with eternity in view, trusting his work in the unseen places until that day when we finally see Jesus face to face. That is why we are able to not lose heart in the midst of the evil of this world. We live with the same hope expressed in Joseph's last recorded words. I am about to die, but God will surely visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he has promised you. And to that we say, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's close. Father, what an amazing truth that you are so powerful and you are so loving that what this world means for evil against us YOU MEAN FOR OUR GOOD. MAY WE FIND HOPE IN THE TRUTH THAT YOU WILL SURELY VISIT US AND BRING US UP OUT OF THIS WORLD TO THE LAND THAT YOU HAVE PROMISED US, TO THE NEW HEAVENS AND THE NEW EARTH. IT IS THERE THAT WE WILL FINALLY SEE ALL THAT YOU HAVE DONE FOR US, IN US, AND THROUGH US, EVEN USING THE EVIL THINGS OF THIS WORLD TO DO GOOD FOR US. IN THE MEANTIME, As we wait for your return, help us to be faithful in our growing dependence upon you as we face uncertain and painful days. May our hearts truly choose to say, and whatever we face, blessed be the name of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.